Welcome to the Enlightened Savage Show. Welcome to the Enlightened Savage Show. Today I have a very special guest. The man, the myth, known as the legend. He won't brag about himself, so I'm going to do a little bit of that right now. So he is the on the PGA Tour, a chiropractor on the PGA Tour. Um, he's worked with USA Surf recently at Mamba Sports Academy. He's worked with the X Games. He's worked with professional baseball players, football players, their training staff. He lectures and teaches both around the country and around the world. My dear friend, mentor and colleague, the legend, Michael Rintala. Thanks for coming on the show, Michael. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, one correction, haven't worked on the X Games, but have done action sports, do action sports. That was that was back at the, the beginning. See, so. he competed in the X Games. He competed yeah, yeah, in no, the X Games. No, no, no. <laughs> competed in the X Games. That's definitely definitely not. Definitely. So don't get it mixed up. He was definitely a vert skateboarder. Don't listen to what he has to yeah. say. So, so I've known you for a long time. We've got to know each other. Um, Michael's a great guy. He spends his time trying to teach people and improve the fitness, movement, rehab, sports performance world. That's, I think, what his real passion is. And he gives his time so freely to people like me that won't leave him alone and so many other people. And then he's also traveling the world, teaching courses. But Mike, if you don't mind, just briefly, briefly discuss who you are and how you got to this point. Um, so, uh, private practice here in San Diego, um, uh, about 20 minutes from you. Mm -hmm. And uh, besides private practice, I do spend some time on the PGA Tour, helping the players out there on the treatment trailers. Uh, also have the opportunity to spend some time on the World Surf League, um, helping out the, uh, the medical crew out there. And um, also one of the, the international instructors for Prague School of Rehabilitation, teaching dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, or DNS. Um, how I got into this? Well, um, uh, early on, when I was younger, I was, uh, played uh, junior tennis, competitive tennis, and did that, played through college, and racked up my fair share of injuries. Actually, probably spent more time in the training room than I did out on the courts. And through my experience with that, with you know, overtraining and improper training, um, and incurring all those injuries, it really piqued my interest to really help myself, you know, and figure out what was going on, why I got to the point that I got to, and had to stop playing in college. And uh, that drove me towards uh, chiropractic school, where I went to uh, Los Angeles College of Chiropractic. In chiropractic school, I got, um, actually, after the first year, we had a specific rehabilitation course. And uh, Craig Liebenson, who's a chiropractor, uh, big in the rehabilitation world, functional training world, um, he was teaching that class, and in that class, he introduced me to uh, the Prague School of Rehabilitation. Yonda, uh, Levitt um, were kind of pioneers of, of uh, uh, functional rehabilitation in uh, the Czech Republic. And when I got introduced to what they were talking about, their concepts and their principles, it was like the clouds parted and you know the sun came out and it you know it's, it's so yes it was something that that made complete sense and fit with my experience as an athlete and with the injuries that I that I had so from that point I learned as much as I could about uh, Yonda and Levitt and Prague School once I graduated way back in 1997. Dating yourself a little bit. Oh, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing to think how far back that was. But once I got out, um, uh, Dr. Liebenson was bringing uh, people over to Prague, small groups, and I joined one of those small groups. 
Um, got to see Levitt. Yonda had passed away the year before, so didn't get to see him. And it was an eight-day course, I think eight days. The last three or four days, I uh, got introduced to Professor Pavel Kolaj. Pavel Kolaj is the developer of dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. When I saw him, uh, saw him presenting, that was another aha moment. Again, the clouds opened up, the sun came down, and I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is amazing stuff. So uh, from that point on, tried to uh, keep going over to Prague. Eventually, they started coming over here and teaching here. And uh, Professor Collage and the other Prague School therapists were kind of the evolution of, of Yanda, Levitt, Bellet, and, 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 and Voita. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, the, the, those Prague School pioneers. So they, they took those earlier concepts and principles and then they evolved them into uh, what is now called DNS. And so right there is, I think that's a perfect uh, segment where for you guys that you're, you're hearing Michael's experience, how he traveled to um, the Czech Republic and learn from these pioneers. I'm going to give a brief history of some of these pioneers to the best of my knowledge and we'll let Michael fill you guys in where I fall short, but this is definitely the school that I've gone and worked with quite a bit myself that I've been working with for years that I think is the top stuff. But so the people that he mentioned, Yanda, Levitt, Levy, uh, Avele, sorry, not Levy, Vele and uh, Voita, these guys were neurologists. These guys were neurologists that were beasts of neurologists and they were finding how to treat the body with the body. Um, a lot of them were stuck behind the Iron Curtain for a little while. So while we were doing technology, 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 let's do imaging, let's figure out stuff, they didn't have that. So a lot of the stuff that they were working with, they were simply working how to treat the body with the body. We're talking about stroke victims. We're talking about cerebral palsy. Um, Voita, who was a very strong influence on collage, who he studied under quite a bit, he was treating cerebral palsy kids with the Voita technique, and Voita Institute is still in Germany right now, um, doing some amazing works with children that have neurological disorders. But basically, unlike how kind of we are in the U.S. Now, all those guys definitely had um, egos. We all have egos, but they had some quotes saying that we all steal from each other. They would talk shop. They would drink scotch. Um, they worked together. <laughs> they had they had understudies that they were just trying to progress. Um, rehabilitation and movement. Now, Yanda and Levitt are basically the guys that you'll still see in your rehab textbooks where they basically modernize Western rehabilitation um, and where DNS is now is 60 years ahead of what people are seeing in their textbooks. But these guys all had their group of people that trained under them. Uh, Pavel Kolarz was really heavy under uh, Voita as well with the um, uh, reflex locomotion and that's another story that we can talk about later but all this information was combined into principles and uh, into how to treat and how to approach what is neutral joint centration what is proper respiration where the foundation and starting points are and how to systematically go through and check injuries or performance loss and then how to go and that's the basic of dynamic neuromuscular stabilization that's how the history of it came about and if I miss some things, please fill it in. But right after we fill in those history things, then we're just gonna give a brief discussion on what DNS or dynamic neuromuscular stabilization actually is. Yeah, that nice, nice synopsis of the history. <laughs> um, you know, don't have, have too much to, to add to that. Uh, just to emphasize the, the fact that, um, you know, these, these clinicians, these uh, therapists were uh, behind the wall, behind the Iron Curtain. They did not have access to the technology that we had in the West, so they really had to develop their eyes, they had to develop their touch to um, figure out what was happening um, with their patients, and um, that's a, a huge influence on the approach today. Um, utilizing the, the training, training your eye, um, training your touch, and um, uh, using that to enhance um, 
assessment, rehabilitation, and performance. Um, for the, the basic concepts and principles of dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, um, <clears throat> it's based off of developmental kinesiology. So Pavel Kolaj, he's a pediatric uh, physiotherapist. He also has got a PhD in pediatrics and, and physiology. Um, he's also uh, head of the rehabilitation department uh, at um, Charles University Hospital in Prague. He is the head uh, clinicians for the Czech Olympic teams. Um, uh, he's also head clinician for the national hockey teams, uh, tennis, men's and women's, and soccer. So. Uh, and besides that, he was also had experience as an Olympic level gymnast. So very experienced in treating, very experienced in working with high level athletes, some very, very high level world class um, hockey players and javelin throwers. And I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and right now, um, and, and Pavel's, I mean, we could list a lot of the stuff that he's done for a long time, and you gave that good information that he started with seeing how the baby moved. Uh, developmental kinesiology is how we develop as babies from the time we're born to a year and a little bit after that. But in that time, um, if we're developing correctly, there's certain milestones that we hit that allows us to form the depth of our, our shoulder and hip sockets, allows us to upright in the spine it actually that first year of life really determines on how well we're going to move and perform the rest of our life so with seeing that what that does is give us a basis as clinicians to know what pieces need to happen and in those developmental positions if an athlete that's an adult or a preteen if they can't load in those positions we know that they're going to be dysfunctional and load incorrectly when they're doing dynamic movements yeah. Is that correct? That's yeah, perfect. So yeah, the the from about well, from birth to about 18, 18 months, you have um, the the central nervous system is maturing. Um, when we're first born, the lower uh, brain centers are dominant, so our primitive reflexes are dominant. From three months to that 18 months is where we have the subcortical region of central nervous system maturation. This is a time where our postural foundations are established. If we have healthy central nervous system maturation, then we're gonna have a nice foundation, postural foundation to, to work off of. So from that three month period of time, three months is where we start, we were able to attain sagittal stabilization. We attain the ability to create the synergy of the deep stabilizing system, which is the diaphragm, the pelvic floor, the entire abdominal wall. So not just the six-pack muscles, but the oblique uh, musculature, and the transverse musculature, the pelvic floor. And that synergy of that, that deep stabilizing musculature provides a fixed point for the larger muscle groups to work off of. So they, if we have that healthy central nervous system maturation, we have that coordination synergy and timing of the deep stabilizing system, which means we have optimal joint position, we call it centration. And as the, the, the infant matures, they're able to attain higher, more unstable positions um, during that three to 18 months. So they go from turning over, crawling, uh, kneeling, squatting, standing, and eventually walking. And so that is just like for me, who's pushing my glasses up right now, who is an absolute body nerd, who loves how the body works and what it is, that is like, I, I'll listen to that for hours. But for some of you that may not be as well versed, or you may not be a clinician, or you may not be a trainer, is that's allowing us to have the foundation for stabilization through that, through that time. And then as we mature and how that translates into adults or athletes or people with injuries is no one had to teach us how to do that movement. That movement is inherent. So all of us bar having a neurological issue, bar having parents put us in positions or chairs or walkers before we were ready, we're going to develop ideally. Now, somewhere along the line, whether it's injury, incorrect training, something like that, we get off of ideal. 
So the goal with DNS is to help, in, in my opinion, is to help bring people back close to that inherent ideal. So we know if we see breakdowns in these movement patterns or these stabilization, our goal, we, we, we change sometimes our morphology, injuries, how our body develops when we're adults, where we can't get to 100% ideal. But our goal is to pull us back to as ideal as possible so we load and function as well as possible. And so what that is, is we're taking the understanding of ideal movement as a child, how we develop through there, and knowing that if we put ourselves back in those positions, and this is um, reflex locomotion, this is developmental kinesiology, this is DNS, if we put ourselves back in those positions, know what neutral is, and then work those positions with different exercises, with transitions, with things like that, is we can reboot, we can control alt delete for any of you that are old enough, we can control alt delete, reset the system, get ourselves back to that blank slate, to that good movement pattern, so then we can perform better in higher activities. Um, so, just we, we've covered that. I think that's a good introduction. We're gonna talk a little bit about how we implement it in our daily, um, in our daily workings with athletes and people with injury. But Mike gave a little bit of his background in DNS and I'm gonna give a little bit of mine because I'm always spouting off about DNS to anybody that will listen and even people that don't want to because I think it is the cat's pajamas. <laughs> um, so for me personally, I played high school and college football. I played a bunch of other sports. I beat the crap out of my body. I was hurting. Um, I ended up through a lot of different things. I ended up in chiropractic school. Now I was about to leave chiropractic school because it didn't make sense to me what they were doing and an upperclassman, uh, Matt Lane, who um, actually has uh, Fit MJC in the Kansas City area. I think they got like six clinics. They host a lot of DNS courses too, so they're great guys out there. He said, come to this club. And so this club was Motion Palpation Institute and the MPI group. And one of the guys that was there was Brett Winchester that helped out with the clubs, who is also a international DNS uh, uh, instructor. And a lot of the stuff, a lot of DNS, they had sprinkled in throughout the MPI. They had some of the breathing, they had some of the loading, they had some of this. And as I was going through, I constantly was asking them questions. Well, what's more on this? What's more on this? What's more on this? And they pointed me to DNS. And they said, this is a lot of information. Now, and, and what they told me is they say, most students aren't ready for this in chiropractic school. They don't have enough foundation. They're like, I think you can handle it. So I started taking classes. My first DNS class, I actually took with Brett Winchester um, this was before he was an instructor. This was his trial instruction um, with Alana Kobasova, um, who basically schedules everything and is a brilliant neurologist in her own right. Um, an absolutely lovely woman who uh, just runs the show as far as making sure everything internationally is scheduled, booked, fees are paid, everything like that. And then program development, she, she runs the show, she's great. Um, so that was my first introduction to that. And when I was talking to her, because obviously I'm going to bother her as much as I could because she was absolutely amazing, um, is I was heading out to California and she said, well, you need to get in contact with Mike Rintella out there. And there was another person she told me to get in contact with, but I won't mention his name because he never even returned my calls or emails or constant pestering. <laughs> which might have been good for him. But when I came out here, I had already taken another couple courses. Then I started, I said, hey, Mike, teach me. And he was like, oh, okay. And I think he thought I probably would have went away, but he's, I've been bothering him for years and years now. Um, but when I first came out to California, basically any free time that I had, I would say, all right, I'm gonna watch what you do, Mike. And it was, sometimes he's like, are you here again? All right, I'm gonna have to have you start getting some towels or something, you're just here too much and I just kept coming. I didn't listen. I knew he didn't want me there sometime, but it's okay. Um, and then actually when Mike, uh, I kept taking courses, I kept learning from Mike and other people. I did as much as I could. Um, the DNS stuff really helped me heal from injuries where other rehab and other things just didn't quite cut it. Um, then from there, when Mike was traveling and um, teaching, uh, I filled in and saw some of his patients. He also mentored me a little bit and told me to stop trying to do 75 different things, just build your practice, do what you did. So then I focused on that for a while, so I wasn't able to see any of his patients anymore. Um, but yeah, so I've worked with Mike for a long time. I've been over to Prague. I keep taking courses all the time. And the reason that I go over this, and I feel like I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this DNS thing. Um, but the reason that I bring all this up is I've taken most of the courses multiple, multiple times. 
And what I want, be, what I want to do right now is because we have a trainer in with us right now who's also our executive producer, and there's a lot of people that have gotten a taste of DNS, but I want to go over with Michael what he believes is the way that both trainers and cl clinicians should start learning DNS, and then also, because I, I hear this a lot and I'm sure you do, well, I've taken A, B, and C course, I know DNS, or I've taken exercise one, two, and three, I know DNS. For me, I feel like maybe a year or two after I had taken all the courses multiple times and spent thousands and thousands of hours on practicing with patients and clients that I first started really understanding the concepts. I don't even feel that back then I was good yet. I feel like I first really, really understood the concepts and I still take, I try to take five to 10 courses a year right now because every time I go, I feel I get significantly better because my base and my understanding's higher. So when I learn from Michael or Brett or Robert or Aaron and then all of the prog therapists, I just feel like my game is raised so much. So long-winded answer for me there, um, so I'll stop talking and let Mike give you some knowledge, um, is as a trainer or clinician, how should they start how should they start learning and introducing DNS to their daily treatment or training um, with clients and patients? And then what should they expect the learning curve to be? Like, and I say a couple years for me after taking a ton of courses with, I have thousands of hours of videos that I have scoured over and over and practiced over and over again before I even started to feel like I really understood the concepts, not, not being even really good yet. And I, and I feel that I'm pretty good at it, but I still feel there's a big, there's big room for improvement because no one's gonna, every, everybody that I see gets better every time that I see them. The prog therapists are better every time that I see them. You're so-so uh, better every time I see you and you're immersed in it. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. But so yeah, the, the trainers and clinicians, how should they start and how should they start implementing? So um, DNS, it's, it's definitely a, a process. You don't take a weekend course and then you know, boom, you, you got it. You can definitely apply things after a single course, um, uh, but there is a process, just like there's a process during that, those developmental milestones, um, just like there's a process of learning a, a new skill, a new sport, um, you gotta put the time in and you have to uh, focus on quality over quantity. Um, the way to start, uh, there's two, well, there's, yeah, there's two tracks for the DNS education. One, you have a DNS exercise um, track, and then you also have a DNS clinical track. The DNS exercise track is DNS exercise one, two, and three. Um, and the, the DNS clinical track is DNS A, B, C, and D. So <clears throat> with the DNS exercise class, our track, that is designed for both uh, movement specialists, strength and conditioning specialist, trainer, but also the clinician. In that one, you get the basic concepts and principles, you get specific assessments, and you focus on specific, what we call active exercises, to address what you see with the assessments. With the, the DNS clinical track, um, uh, the first, let me go back. The DNS exercise track, those are two-day courses. The DNS clinical track, those are three-day courses. With the DNS clinical, we go deeper into the developmental kinesiology. Uh, we get more into specific manual techniques, um, as well as specific assessments and uh, specific active exercises. Um, either one is a great place to start, obviously for the, the trainer or movement specialist. Um, someone not, not licensed um, you know, in, uh, uh, for manual work, uh, then that's a place to go. That was designed, again, for the trainer, movement specialist, strength and conditioning specialist, but it's also designed for the clinician. And the idea with that is um, showing how both the clinician and the trainer have a role in, in helping our clients and our patients. Um, as a clinician, if I'm working with a, uh, a patient and I get them back to a certain level where they want to get back to training or back to their sport, ideally I'm going to want somebody who has uh, you know, a knowledge of DNS, 
who is on the same page that I am and can help progress them to help them you know reach their their true potential so I like I really like the DNS exercise uh, as a introduction to DNS for both the, the trainer and the clinician um, for those of us who want to you know uh, geek out a little bit uh, clinically wise then that DNS uh, clinical tract is is more um, um, will be more appropriate for you and um, you know thank you for for clarifying my me geeking out on developmental kinesiology <laughs> and stuff because if you let me go I'll, I'll just keep going deeper on that um, so uh, and with that I think it's just and, and that's great it's it, it, it's when you hear Mike talk about it like if you're really geeking out on it like I like to or he likes to you're like okay keep talking give me more but someone that doesn't understand it, even to the depths that he's talking, can get lost. But it's just because that's such a passion for you. Like, yeah. I've seen it's such a passion for you to understand more, to be able to teach more, to be able to pass more information on. And you're the last person to beat his chest, but the first person to beat DNS's chest and be like, this is why it's been so great for me and for people that I've worked with. And you said to jump into those courses is, is a good way to, you know, start getting your, your feet wet. Are there any other materials out there, books you'd recommend for people to start getting a general understanding? Yeah, so Prague School has a website. Uh, it's www.rehabps.com, uh, rehabprogschool.com. And they have a whole section on, they have specific articles, book chapters. Um, video series now. There's a, there's a whole video series. So if you want more information specifically on DNS, that is a great place to start looking. Um, you know, as, as far as, you know, myself and, and uh, Mike, the other Mike here, <laughs> um, we do a lot of social media stuff. We post different... Uh, active exercises um, and little tidbits of of DNS and and so you can kind of get ideas of, of what it is and how to utilize it there. And where can they find you on social media, Michael? Uh, Facebook, Michael Rintala DC, Instagram, Rintala Movement Flow, um, and then I my website is uh, rintalacairo.com and I I list uh, different courses that are upcoming there. So there's, there's a, a lot of different places to um, start exploring. Oh, the other one is I have a YouTube channel, Michael Rontala DC, and I post a lot of videos there as well. So that, that can kind of give you a taste of kind of what we're doing. But ultimately, uh, taking the course and really getting the, the details of you know, how to assess and then how to start apply the active exercises is, is key. And, you know, Mike and I, we talk about it's, you know, the process that we went through. Um, it, it's one of those things. It's like the more we know, the more we know we don't know. Um, I am constantly humbled, especially working with the Prague School therapists. They're constantly evolving. Uh, Professor Collage is constantly evolving. And every time I think I, I got it and I... I teach with one of them, or I watch uh, Professor Collage. I'm just humbled. So, uh, you know, starting out with one of the base courses, getting the basic concepts and principles, you'll be able to apply um, those concepts and principles, assessments and treatments and, and training. But it, it is something that you do have to practice, like anything. Anything you want to get good at, you have to practice. And guys. With Michael, he, he just gave you the list, and we're going to post a list of ways to get in contact with him. But um, myself, and I know Michael does too, he's a little bit busier than me, but we try to respond to as many people as we can that have questions about it. We really earnestly want people to improve. We want people to know what we know. And then as someone that has taken hundreds and hundreds of different courses, all in like movement, soft tissue, different stuff like that, is the quality of material that you get, especially from one of the courses that uh, Michael hosts, because we live in Southern California where things are more expensive, but you are not gonna find a cheaper DNS course in the US than the ones hosted by Michael. And again, it's because I believe he really just wants to get that information out to you guys. 
and you a hundred times a hundred percent are gonna get your money's worth. And again, that's, uh, is it Michael Rintella Cairo? Uh, just just Rintala Cairo. Rintala, Rintalo Cairo, Rintala Cairo, Cairo nice finish name, <laughs> dot com. And you can find, he lists all the courses that he's hosting or that he's gonna be at and doing. And all the ones that he hosts are, um, are a really great, great price and, and you know I try to help out as much as I can. I lend my facility when I can and he does the same with his and it's we really just want to get that information out to people. So just to break it down, there's the DNS exercise courses one, two, and three for movement specialist commissions. Um, I found that after I did the clinician courses, how much I got out of those exercise courses and also after I did the DNS courses and the exercise courses, some of the biggest ones that really made a difference for me hands-on were the movement courses, were the specialty courses that it wasn't, you, you already have to have the knowledge. And then it's just working with movement, working with loading. Um, Alishka was great at that. And, and I'm not talking down on any of the other uh, practitioners. These are just the ones that I've done movement classes with that I've had a great experience with. Um, Alishka, Mikhail Truk, um, Martina. And Martina, and I've taken probably five with Martina, three or four with Michael, a couple with Alishka, and I mean those ones because it's doing the movements over and over again, and it's workshopping, and it's working with other clinicians that have done it, um, and that's a lot of the reason why, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but the reason I love working with people like Wes here, I've been working with for a year as he's taken some of the classes to try and help him progress. Michael's worked with me for many years. We get together as much as possible because we learn stuff from each other all the time and someone else might see something or have a question that some, so it's, it's this collaborative effort from people in the US, people in Prague to really continue to progress DNS. So if you're someone that said, oh, I took the courses 10 years ago, I took them all once, I'm a certified clinician, I took the test, um, and that's the thing as well, on the DNS clinician track, if you wanna be a certified DNS practitioner, there are tests after each single, um, after the courses, which especially the C&D are pretty stinking hard, um, but it's to actually know that you understand the material that you're doing. But again, is if you've taken the classes two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, before it was DNS, you're behind because it's ever evolving. It's not something that's stagnant and still, and that's what I love about it too, is I've had, well, I, I just on the, the, for example, on how the foot loads, what was taught was three point for quite a while. Now it's four point, and the four point makes more sense. And if you want more information on that, go to a DNS class. <laughs> but, um, so we've been over DNS, we've been over the tracks, we've been over how people can do it, how they can get in contact with you, um, the learning curve, it takes a while. Um, so now I want you to talk about, uh, Michael, how it can help athletic performance mm -hmm. and how to introduce it. So these are two separate topics. We'll first talk how to do athletic performance and then how to introduce it to pro athletes. Because as someone that myself and you both work with pro athletes, it's a little different story than when we're doing it with a young athlete, a high school athlete, to someone that's making their money or they're mid-season or they're not out with an injury, um, there's a little difference how you approach it with a pro athlete than someone that's just like, say a 13-year-old kid whose parents are like, I want them to be able to perform their best. Yeah. So start with athletic performance um, and then we'll go on to how we use it with uh, pro athletes. Okay, so uh, we'll just I'll definitely do that. One thing, just one point I wanna make with the one reason I really like uh, DNS, you know, utilizing it and especially teaching it. Um, it's not, uh, Prague School isn't saying, oh, you have to do DNS, stop what you're doing. DNS beautifully integrates with all the good work that you're already doing, whether it's soft tissue work, other movement uh, systems. Uh, it's kind of like, a, it's like a software upgrade for anything that you're doing. So um, as far as uh, being effective or how it, it enhances sport for performance. So one of the, the main things that uh, DNS does is it looks at the efficiency of that deep stabilizing system. And I mentioned before we have diaphragm, pelvic floor, the entire abdominal wall. We also got to include the intersegmental musculature throughout the spine. So when we have the synergy coordination and timing of that deep stabilizing system, that 
um, we attain during development and we have, it's hardwired, it's, it's genetic, um, you know, we're still able to access that pure ideal coordination synergy and timing of the deep stabilizing system. But like Mike said, you know, things like postural habituation, repetitive use, which is, you know, overtraining, uh, past injury, usually all three when we're dealing with athletes, that can throw off that efficiency of that deep stabilizing system. So with specific assessments, treatment, and training, we can help facilitate that ideal coordination synergy and timing of the deep stabilizing system. If we do that, then we have more efficient transfer of load, more fluid, effortless movement. Um, basically, we're, we're more efficient. We have better joint positions. So we don't create, uh, um, um, or we don't fall into compensatory um, um, patterns or high threshold patterns of, of movement. Because if we do that, then we start uh, kind of beating ourselves up. We beat up the extremities, shoulder, elbow, wrist. We start overloading the transitional segments throughout the spine, lumbar sacral, thoracic lumbar, cervical thoracic. So the better that we can train, the better that we can see where our insufficiencies are um, with our athletes, <clears throat> then uh, the more efficient they're gonna be able to move and with that, the less likelihood of, of injury. But then you take that a step further, um, with more efficient movement, more efficient transfer of load, now we raise their potential for, for performance. And so, for me, I love that, that was eloquently spoken, <laughs> um, it hit everything, but for anybody listening that may not understand the deep stabilizing system, a bunch of other things, I'm going to try and, um, yeah. I'm gonna try and put it in the vernacular so everybody can understand it, so basically, the basis is ideal core stabilization and breath to start, which stabilizes your back, your spine, which then allows your muscles, uh, your arms, your legs, everything to be able to function and perform better where you're not losing any of the power or performance that you're doing. So there's no energy leaks. Your performance can go up because everything is working ideally together and in the right time. So if we do a car analogy, if only six of the pistons of a V8 are firing, it's still a V8 engine, but you're only getting the power from those six and that could cause some other issues too. What we're doing is as we turn on the core, as we turn on the breath, as we turn on this deep stabilizing system, which is basically just giving you a solid ideal base for movement, then all the strength that you already have, can the potential can be realized. The potential can be realized and when you're doing that, your movement is going to be smoother, which makes it more efficient, which means you will become faster, more explosive. And while you're doing all of this, you are going to have a less likely chance of injury because you're doing it with the right timing and you're doing it with the right sequence. You're doing it with the right <clears throat> movement patterns. So I love how he said it, and I wish I could say it as eloquently, but I like things to sound dumb and easy because that's what I like. Um, and so that's how we bring it into improving athletic performance. Now, as we take it a step farther, so we're gonna say in-season pro athletes. And this is something that you have to be careful with if you are um, a practitioner of anything because these guys are making money off their body. And not only do you have to be careful with how much you implement it, and I'm gonna ask you how you feel you implement it during season, but you also have to be careful on how you talk to these pro athletes. Because a big thing with athletic performance is mental performance. So if I come in as a naive idiot that's taking A, B, C, and D course, and somehow I weasel my way onto an MLB team's training or you know the medical staff of professional golfers, and I start saying, oh man, your movement's crap. That's yeah. terrible movements. That's... So for me, when I approach pro athletes or any athletes or people in general, I say, you're doing great. But you're, you're, right now you're performing better than 99% of the world. And you're only at 80% your maximum. We're gonna slowly improve your ceiling by doing little implemented things that will help you get better and perform better and have a less chance of injury. Now, less chance of injury, works really well with professional athletes. Not so well with college, high school, and youth athletes and their parents. 
they're all about performance for the most part. Now there are some very good parents, I'm not saying there aren't, that really understand, hey, if my kid doesn't get injured, they can continually get better over the long run. But with professional athletes, longevity is a good word to use, um, or injury prevention, especially someone that's been injured a lot, because they know they're not making the team in the tub, and that you know, you're not getting paid if you're not playing. So um, just go over briefly how you implement it during season, and then how you can implement it in an increased rate, either off season or when there's an injury. Right. So uh, that's an important point. Yeah. How how you talk not only to your your athletes, but you know, just your your patients or your clients in general. Um, you know, when I assess, when I see where the specific insufficiencies of the deep stabilizing system are, um, you know, I don't necessarily. Uh, point all that out to them and give them like this, you know, complex that, you know, how can I even move now? <laughs> um, basically what, what you do, yeah, you know, like, okay, um, you know, obviously, you know, you're performing at a high level. How would you like to perform at an even higher level? And with that, how would you like to create, I like to say, durability and longevity. I like that. I'm and then, down and I'm, yeah. I came up with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, especially for a professional athlete who makes their living playing, that is huge. Um, that's huge on the PGA Tour. It's any, any the World Surf League Tour, you know, any athletes, especially on not only the professional level, but you know, high school and, and college as well. Because if we can address those younger um, athletes, then we can prevent problems later on. And that's, that's another topic we'll, we'll get into. Um, going back to, uh, um, you know, the, the specific athletic performance, the more efficient that we can uh, um, facilitate efficiently, we can facilitate that deep stabilizing system. Then, uh, and the, the more that they can become aware of that facilitation and uh, utilize that awareness to to create it themselves, then they can start to manage how efficiently that they are utilizing it. So for a pro athlete, especially in season, one of the beauties of, of DNS, um, when I train athletes or patients in general, once they get to a certain point where they have the awareness, they know how to feel and facilitate that deep stabilizing system, then we progress into little movement sequences, transition flows, and with athletes specifically for their sport. Um, the beauty with DNS going through that, it not only creates ideal mobility stability, but it, it lights up the central nervous system. It, it You get a better awareness, you can uh, input, um, I'm going to geek out here, the somatosensory input from the environment. <laughs> so you can, you can um, process your environment uh, better. And the other beautiful thing about, about DNS is you don't wear yourself out. You know, you, you create mobility, you create ideal stability, ideal synergy of your, you know, what we call kinetic chains in your deep stabilizing system. You enhance your proprioceptive or input of the environment, and it, it energizes you. Versus going through a whole warm-up, getting tired, and then having to perform. So a key goal, especially with athletes, is to get them to a point of... Uh, competency and awareness while doing the the breathing which is a huge one with DNS as far as addressing the diaphragm because the diaphragm has a respiratory function and a stabilizing function so getting that and then creating that synergy creating the helping them create the awareness of activation so that then they can utilize that specifically in movement preparation to then perform at their potential and just a uh, shameless plug here, we actually have a DNS movement preparation for the athlete coming up at Stanford University uh, in mid-April. And you know, if you guys want details on that, go to the, um, the social media info that we gave earlier. But with that, we're specifically targeting and teaching um, you know, the, the, 
Stanford stat training staff and medical staff as well as other students attending how to help the athletes gain that awareness um, going through specific uh, movement sequences based off of that developmental kinesiology to help them perform at their, their potential as well as create that durability and longevity which you like so much and me too. Yeah. So with that uh, just a quick just a quick uh, recoup of that is how what what I'm getting from you is that with a lot of the pro athletes and the people that are already in season and doing it you're not really trying to change their patterns per se what you're trying to do is stimulate the nervous system stimulate their body so that instead of having a really good game and then an okay game and a good game and a bad game is that we're stimulating the nervous system and the neuromuscular system and them being able to know, okay, I've got everything in my body firing correctly. I feel it. I feel the tactile even sensation, we'll say baseball, of my hand on the bat better. Uh, my skin feels alive. I can sense things better. I feel the connection from my big toe all the way to my shoulder. I know I'm ready because that's a huge mental edge for them as well. Whereas if we're working with someone that's coming off of an injury or something like that, we're trying to really repattern a lot more and strengthen that. And then from what I'm doing with non-athletes is I definitely have a cross of the clinician and trainer where I'm getting the patterns good and then I'm trying to strengthen the crap out of them so that they can get back as quickly as they want to surf, ski, play tennis, do whatever they want where they're strong enough in pretty close to ideal positions that they can resist external forces. Um, so now what I want to talk about, because I think this is actually where, from what I heard, where Pavel's trying to go with stuff and where I think a lot of good work can be done is working with kids and how young should you start working with youth athletes? Because here's the thing is I've had a lot of parents be like, well, my kid's nine. They just look funny when they're moving, but <laughs> should I wait till 13 or 14 to start working with you? And here's the thing about young kids, in my experience, when you work with them and give them a f and teach them to load correctly and move, they change almost instantaneously. Their neuroplasticity, their ability to take in the information and their body to spit it out with better movement happens very, very quickly. The later you wait, 13, 14, 15, 16, and the more they've trained, the more hours and hours of ball or, or sport that they've done, the harder it becomes. But you get a nine-year-old that a parent says they had a growth spurt, they've fallen all over themselves, they can't do it. I teach them how to breathe, activate their core, do a good squat load, find what the issues are, and within a week or two, they look like a different kid moving. And that's what's really excited for me is I feel like a lot of prep for athletic performance for youth is making sure they can move well and them understanding what good movement is. Because a lot of times you even tell a kid like, no, here, squat like this, do this. They can do it, but they don't know that dumping into their knees and low back is wrong. That's just the easiest because they're gumbies. They're easy to drop into those. So for you, what, what would you say would be an ideal age to start working movement with kids that are beginning to go into sport? And for me, a lot of it is, do they have the mental maturity so it could be a five-year-old for me, like a, a very mature five-year-old that's into um, that's into gymnastics and they're focused and they're already training really hard and five's a pretty young age. But if they can understand somewhat what I'm saying, know why they're doing it and want to get better at the sport and it's their desire to get better, you can start pretty young. But for the most part, I say that with what I've worked at, nine years old is usually a pretty good age where you can give them stuff to do. You can give them homework as as to movement and their parents can help them and I video it a lot so their parents can go back and see and work on it but what would be your <clears throat> take on that right so um, talking clinically I mean you can recognize and this is where uh, professor collage when his work with with uh, Voita um, you can recognize an in infancy not ideal central nervous system maturation so there's clinical things that you can do with the infant based on assessment to address uh, unhealthy central nervous system maturation. Now, as far as our population and, and uh, youth athletes, um, you know, yeah, eight, nine, that's a good time. But I would go back even further. As soon as they start school and they start sitting all day, 
that is, that's where you really start to affect the efficiency of the deep stabilizing system. You know, our bodies are designed to move. Kids should be, you know, so they should be playing, <clears throat> they should be moving, and, you know, you know, when do we start school? Kindergarten. Uh, we start sitting for prolonged periods of time. That's going to affect the ability and the function of the diaphragm, which starts to throw off the efficiency of the deep stabilizing system. Now, with younger kids, like um, as far as um, helping them move better, more efficiently, uh, you know, you need to be more more play based, more external cueing, help guide them through ideal ideal movements. As they get older and they mature, um, you could start utilizing more manual techniques or more specific active exercises. Um, so, I, uh, you know, with our, especially in, in this area, as you know, like our club sports, club youth sports, Crazy. That, yeah, they start <laughs> so young. So you put on top, you, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, you put you put the postural habituation from starting school and sustained seated postures. Now you add this club sport, which you know, great. But now you're adding uh, repetitive use and repetitive stress. That's the other thing that affects the that quality. Um, but you, you know, it's you, you have to be able to to balance that and maintain that ideal stabilization. You have to work on sport technique, obviously. The only way you really learn sport technique is to do sport technique. But if you have an optimal postural foundation and movement strategy, then you optimize that that um, sport technique. So ideally, I like to you know uh, I, I would like to be able to assess uh, when they start school and start that sustained se uh, s seated postures. And the earlier you can you can address insufficiencies or dysfunction, the quicker they respond, just like you say. Ideally, before they go through their growth spurts, before they go through puberty, if we can get them before then, then we can really help them transition through those growth spurts in a, um, in a way that's not going to ingrain the compensations or the you know, insufficient well, patterns. And even with ingraining the compensation, when we start working with young kids, what this also does is it sets up so structurally we form better as well. Because before we hit puberty, before we the end plates harden, our bones are still very malleable. So if we're loading incorrectly from five years old, there's gonna be a chance that we can only get so good with movement in our 20s, our 30s, our 40s. But if we're, if we're paying attention to this and helping our kids move better and load better um, from when they start from school, they have a better chance of developing a functional skeleton. And that, that's a part that a lot of people aren't talking about, that if your bones and your body and, and your muscles are loading incorrectly over a long period of time, the morphology of your skeleton actually changes. And I'm watching the clock for you. We're almost <laughs> done, Mike. I know when you gotta get out of here. Yeah. Um, but so that's actually something that's really important from five to 16 is a very important time where you can actually make structural changes whether you're moving correctly or moving incorrectly. Yeah. Um, now, so this is something that I find a lot of DNS, even people that say they're practitioners or clinicians or whatever, what I find a lot of people skip by because it's not the sexiest thing to do. It's not the funnest thing to do. I love it because I know how much better it's gonna make everything work. But in your opinion, how important is IAP, interabdominal pressure, and ideal core activation and respiration and is it the king for things that we should be paying attention to before we move on? Because here's the thing, a lot of times if I rush somebody through, and this is experience, I don't rush people through, but this is experience yeah. over years and years of doing this. If I try to move somebody too fast and we get them feeling great and then they increase their activity and they're like, ah, I'm still getting a little bit of that hip pain, I'll go back and that lower portion of their abdominal wall or respiration, it's not quite getting there. So for me, and I hold classes for it, and Wes helps with me, and this is what we focus on, and this is what I try to pound into people's head. If you idealize respiration and core activity and know what that feels like, you're gonna be able to self-audit exercises, and that's needed, it's the foundation. This is my opinion, and I wanna hear what you have to say on it. It's the foundation, and it's needed to reach your level 
the highest level of performance with the least likely chance of injury or pain or uh, and so that's what I say I say breathing and core activation is king and if you want to go ahead and argue or you can agree with me but that's my stance and I'm sticking to it no I I, I agree I am totally with you there um, <clears throat> that is that is the um, that synergy coordination and timing of uh, breathing and stabilizing function of the diaphragm and of that deep stabilizing system is the base that you want to build off of. If you, like you said, if you push, if you go too fast too soon and you don't create that optimal foundation, now you're building on a unstable foundation and if you put enough load or speed or time on that unstable foundation that's going to play into injury and it's going to play into um, uh, losing your optimal potential as far as performance so um, that is something that i definitely spend uh, most of my time on and like you with experience early on i was doing too much too soon um, and over time, I learned that not only does the patient need to be patient, or the, the, the client as far as their training, um, but myself as a clinician or, or you, know, you as a, a trainer also need to, to talk to them and um, emphasize the, the need for quality over quantity. And that's hard to do because everybody, especially in our culture, is go, go, go. Um, you know, we got to, you know, reach our PRs or reach our, you know, certain weight or, or you know, go for a certain time. And um, if, you, if you're constantly doing that, you're in what we call a functional gap. And when you're in that functional gap, you're utilizing all compensation. And you'll get your time increase, you'll get your, your strength increase or your increase in, in weight, um, but it's going to be a short bump before uh, you get injured or you, you know, um, sealing out on your, your true potential. So um, as a clinician, I'm talking constantly about, you know, these fundamentals and it's very important for me to keep learning from the proc therapist, from my own experience on ways to help uh, the people that I work with gain that awareness and have that attention to be able to you know feel the diaphragm descending feel the ideal breath feel the ideal stabilization if I can do that and they can feel it their eyes light up and usually when when I can do that there they say why has no one shown me this before <laughs> and um, when that happens they get it they become patient, they help me become patient, <laughs> and together we kind of, you know, reach, are able to reach their goals, whether that's, you know, uh, a, a, a new mom um, or a professional athlete. And with that is just a shout out to anybody that is doing DNS, that's practicing, that's working on the breath. I'm just going to give some quick clinical pearls in, in, in my experience. If the front of the stomach is pushing out quicker than the other areas, they're not doing ideal um, respiration. If the breath is stopping at the belt line and not going all the way down to basically the pubic symphysis, you're, you're not ideally breathing or activating. When they go and try to expand the core and create tension in the core and it's a squeezing down and then a pushing out, that's not ideal activation. And for anybody that's had their fingers down in and feeling the abdominal cavity when someone's doing this, they know what I'm talking about. But if you're not doing that and it just looks like there's tension everywhere, sometimes that can be the case, is how people are doing what they're doing with the breathing and core activation makes all the difference. Because the muscles that we're using, if it's the right sequence, good. If it's the wrong sequence, that's where we can have our problems. And if we're not focused on that breathing and core activation, and I think a lot of people that take the DNS courses and work with it, they think that they've covered the breathing because they did it once, um, but the breathing precedes all the other stuff. The breathing and core activation precedes all the other stuff. I know, Mike, that you have to run, so really quickly, um, we're gonna do a little something, and we might edit this out, but if not, I don't care, it's gonna be fun anyways, is I'm going to give you some questions, 
you got to choose right away or answer right away um, just as quickly as you can. I'm going to take these all off the top of my head, so we're going to see how it goes. Okay, Michael, you ready? Great. <laughs> Bacon or brisket? Bacon. Ice cream or gelato? Ice cream. Favorite Backstreet Boy? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a lot about you. <laughs> Prague or Japan? Oh, both. <laughs> both. Good answer. Um, favorite NFL team? 49ers. Favorite food? Japanese food. Who would win in a fist fight, you or Brett Winchester? Brett. <laughs> <laughs> Who would win in a fist fight, you or your wife? My wife, Maggie. <laughs> and in a verbal fight. <laughs> Any fight. <laughs> Wait, um, we don't have fights. We have discussions. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that, that's good. Um, and then last and not least, did you enjoy yourself today? Yeah, this was awesome. All I right. really enjoyed this, and it's really nice with you having uh, the knowledge and the experience with DNS so that we can uh, kind of get deeper into the, the concepts and principles. So thank you, guys. And guys, and guys, our, our big purpose here is to help get you information. So if this covered a lot of stuff that you liked, let us know, great. If you want more information, um, I will pester Mike, and as soon as he has uh, free time, we'll get back on and we'll do some more installments with DNS. We'll do some installments on how to do it with exercise. We'll really get some more information out to you guys, but that's also gonna be on what you guys want to know. So again, thanks for joining us. Um, Mike, it was great uh, having you here. Wes, I know me and Mike over talked over you the whole time, mostly me, and that's because this is just something that we absolutely have a passion for. I know you do as well, Wes, and you're getting really good at it, and that's because you're learning from the Legends Apprentice, so you're basically... I got the trifecta. Trifecta going, going right here. All right, yeah, so fun. back down south for you, Mike. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah, see ya. If you're like me and you do all your best thinking on the toilet, make sure to visit www.enlightenedsavageshow.com following this show when you're taking care of business for additional tools and resources to help you thrive.